Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And if you don't already subscribe, why don't you do so? Even better, if you do subscribe, tell someone else who might like the podcast because all you have down here is word of mouth. And and leave us an iTunes review. Apparently, according to Tim, they're very important. So please do that. Today's guest is Steve Vaughan. Steve is CEO of Gloucester Rugby and he's exactly the reason that I started up this sort of podcast. It's to talk to the administrators, the people around the game who are very interesting and give you that detailed knowledge that you simply don't get anywhere else. Steve talks about all sorts, the future of Gloucester, the turnover, there's a lot about the business of rugby, how he builds his his team, how he restructured Gloucester after he was appointed. It's very interesting, maybe not one for Bath fans. Before we get into that, uh, just remember you can find me at Jay Beardmore, you can find this podcast at The Rugby Dungeon, and if you want something else, you can also find Egg Chasers at The Rugby Podcast. Our sponsors today, as always, are Field and Flower, a provider of grass-fed meat direct to your door. Go on the website, have a look at what they do, they do some excellent boxes, and just use our code RUGBY20. Loads of you have done it so far, it's been really appreciated, and it helps us do what we do down here. Okay, I am very happy to be joined by Gloucester CEO, Steve Vaughan. How are you, Steve? Yeah, very well, thank you. What does your morning have in store for you? Today, well, I'm, I'm sitting here with a, I've got a glass of water, I've got a cup of coffee and a to-do list in front of me, which uh, today is an interesting one. We've got the team uh, coming in for their first uh, team run of the year at King's Home, um, which, is, uh, which is great. And um, everybody's happy except for the groundsman. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Always wants more time to get the pitch ready. But we're playing Glasgow tomorrow uh, evening in a pre-season friendly. So uh, we've got uh, the team coming down for a team run. And then after the team run, so I've got, I'm picking up with a couple of the players and coaches uh, on, on various bits while they're here. Um, after that, um, I'm actually presenting to the playing group um, um, just on, um, we've been doing some leadership training with the team and some of the feedback that they've got, which is brilliant, is that they'd like to know more what goes on at the club behind okay. the scenes because we're in two locations. We have a um, the, the club based at King's Home and then our, our playing department based at Hartbury College. It's a fantastic setup for them, but obviously, it, you know, by nature, you don't get to communicate as much as you'd like to face to face. So I'm going to explain to the guys how last year went for us as a business around you know, the commercials and season tickets and match tickets and Central Lincoln and all of the, um, the, the latest goings on with PRL and RFU and the heads of agreement, just to give that, you know, 50% of them will enjoy it, 50% of them will probably <laughs> take their earphones off, um, but uh, in case there are. And then I'm going to introduce them to our new club president, Fred Reed, who's going to um, tell them a little about his time at the club. Mm-hmm. Then we've got um, we've got a leadership um, uh, piece then at one o'clock with the with the company that we're using, and then this afternoon I am off to um, a meeting where I am on the uh, board of the um, the academy uh, board, the PRL Academy Group, where we're we're looking at the future of the academies and what that should look like and how we how we measure it and how we make sure it's all fair for all clubs. So uh, yeah, that, 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 that's today. That's today. Oh, excellent! So you're a busy man then. Uh, well, well, sometimes. I don't think it's just the players that would like to know what goes on on the business side, but probably my listeners too, and actually probably the fans, because 
it's not something you hear much about. Just before we go any further in, into that, how did you come about becoming a CEO of a rugby club? Um, yeah, it was quite bizarre, really. I um, Back in the day, I mean, we're talking, you know, when the world was uh, still flat, um, <laughs> I was um, I was a professional footballer, um, so I, only for Warsaw, um, so... Um, you know, um, and then due to an, an acute lack of uh, talent, um, <laughs> was, uh, was 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 on the scrappy but nineteen. And uh, luckily, I um, I went off and did all manner of jobs. I worked at Land Rover and worked at British Gas and everywhere else. And I ended up finding myself in um, a bit of a quandary, not knowing what to do. Uh, I went on holiday to Corfu, and I and I jumped, I bumped into a guy I knew from back home who was actually a rep for Club eighteen thirty. You know the youth, yeah. And uh, he said to me, look, you know, come and meet my boss and come and do a few months in the sun. I thought, well, that can't be bad, can it? Young lad, single, um, you know, all the rest of it. So I did I did a few months, enjoyed it, came back in the winter and worked and played football for Bromsgrove Rovers and Telford and teams like that. So life was good. And then um, little did I know that, um, if I cut a long story short, eight years later, I was, uh, I was to become managing director of Club 1830 and uh, a number of other Thomas Cook businesses. Um, so wow. I, I effectively worked my way through that company. Um, we got bought by Thomas Cook. Thomas Cook then saw something in me or, 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 or were just desperate for people at the time. I don't know. But uh, I became a retail director for the group. Then I became um, kind of change delivery director whilst we were looking at purchasing other businesses. And then I became managing director of Thomas Cook specialist businesses. And um that incorporated our London 2012 yeah. project. We, we, we won a £40 million project to be the official provider of breaks at the, the Olympic Games in London. And um, that effectively segued me back into sport. So I then started to meet up with a lot of people that I knew from sport and large organisations like Lloyd's TSB and Cadbury's and, um, you know, uh, Visa and, and, and the rest. And um, it kind of got me appetite again to, to get into sport. So I thought, well, I'm... I want to exit Thomas Cook. I've been there too long, in my own opinion. And um, yeah, I, I got offered a couple of jobs. I got offered a job in football. I got offered a job um, overseas in sports. And then um, then the, the Gloucester role came up, um, which was an odd one for me. Because, I mean, rugby, I've, I've always loved rugby. I mean, Mosley and my team um, okay. from back in the day. And I uh, came for the interview and, uh, and the rest is history, as it were. So, yeah, a bit of an odd way in. But, um, but yeah, I'm here now. Excellent. So uh, I'm sure your experience in keeping young men happy actually uh, works very, very well at Gloucester Rugby Club. It does, but uh, different methods. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure. So just outline your responsibilities to the club then. OK, yeah. So um, as chief exec, really, I have a, a number of reporting lines. The most obvious one, or the most visible one, is the planning department. So um, David Humphreys um, is my uh, point of contact within the playing department. And then from there, David will control um, uh, recruitment, retention, um, academy, strength and conditioning, medical, nutrition, um, and all of those things for me. And he's got a, a very good team underneath him of nutritionists and, 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 and masseurs and, and, and strength and conditioning mm-hmm. coaches, etc., um, who, who report into him. Um, from, a, from a non-playing side, um, reporting into me is finance, obviously. So, you know, cash flow and balance sheet, etc., very important. We're not a club with a with a, a, a benefactor or sugar daddy mm-hmm. that can can just bail us out willy nilly. We, we I have to run the club as a as a business, um, so we have to be very very um, clued up and and understand what our objectives are and be very robust around cost and only spend what we've got. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, I have to run it as a self sustainable business, um, so that, that's what that's what I need to do. So finance is very important. Everything that goes with that. Um, operations. Operations would be security, match day, stewards. Uh, we do lots of concerts here as well. Right. Where they're important. So we've just had Lionel Richie and Jess Glynn at King's Home this year, which was fantastic. Um, so operations cover off a lot of that and all of the boring stuff, such as minimum standards criteria and, and, and all that. Um, sales, marketing functions, which you, you'll obviously be very aware of, uh, of, what, of what those things do. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, 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 and hospitality and conferencing as well. So you know, we own King's Home, so we make it work 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we do a lot of hospitality and conferencing and gigs and weddings and christenings and everything else. And then we have a retail team. We have a... We have a two and a half thousand square foot uh, retail presence in Gloucester Keys, which is which is the best 
um, rugby shop and experience in Britain. Um, and we also have a really good community department, which see over 15,000 kids a year uh, on welfare and, uh, and betterment projects, as well as rugby projects. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of the that's kind of how it works. Brilliant. So, in essence, you've got a lot of normal business functions underneath you. What is the biggest challenge that you find with having that intangible, which, of course, is the rugby side? I assume if the rugby side doesn't do too well, the rest of it suffers. That's absolutely correct. You've effectively nailed my challenge there in, in a sentence. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, if I'd be really open and honest with you, you know, a few years ago, I had to make a number of changes at the club and and, and, and make a few uh, decisions to exit a few people and, and bring in the likes of Nigel, um, uh, bring in the likes of David Humphreys and, and um, Laurie Fisher and uh, Trevor Woodman and, and a number of others. And obviously those things don't come cheap. And, you know, when you bring in Hooks, Laidlaw, um, you know, Hibbard, et cetera, et cetera, Jeremy Thrush, John Afoa, you know, you, you really have to invest and speculate uh, because, as you say, everything is about your, your position in the league. Mm. So um, what is difficult is because, as you say, in all intents and purposes, if you take the playing squad out of it, you're a small, medium enterprise. It's what you are. You've, you've got finance and accounts and, 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 and marketing and all the rest of those things. But everything we do is predicated on how the playing team perform. So we forecast, um, obviously, a club like Gloucester, you know, we want to be in the, challenge, the Champions Cup, not the Challenge Cup. Um, the Champions Cup brings much better revenue into the, into the club. It, it makes you a more attractive club for recruitment and retention. You know, it improves your season tickets, it improves your match day spend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things make marketing and operations and stakeholders such as the banks and the owners very, very happy. Yes. Um, you know, we, we work to a virtuous circle, really, which is, you know, if you've got a successful team on the pitch, you've got happy supporters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got happy stakeholders. You've got higher commercial income because people are happy and they're spending and they're coming back. You've got more games and you've got you know, quarterfinals and semifinals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which means more investment into the club, which means a more successful team. Um, so, yeah, so the biggest intangibles are, are that, um, you know, so this year, you know, like a lot of clubs, you know, we, we, we really, really are focusing on trying to get back into that top six as a minimum. Um, mm. And everything that we do and spend is predicated on that. Now, we've finished ninth, uh, ninth and eighth in the last three years, so when you're forecasting to finish higher than that and you don't, then clearly it becomes a commercial challenge because you're spending to finish in those positions yeah. and you're spending the same as clubs that are there, um, but you're not getting the same results back. So it doesn't take Einstein to work out. That makes it uncomfortable. So you, you've got to do one or two things. You've got to cut costs or you've got to raise revenues. And um, where we've, I guess, been quite successful in the last few years um, due to the hard work of my team, is is successful in, in terms of commercial revenues with a number of uh, new initiatives, but um, but that, that won't last forever. Um, so the crux of it is you have to uh, get the team back where you need to be, and that that springboards everything else. So when you first joined, let's just take it right back to the time where you had your interviews and you're applying for the role, or you were approached for the role. Obviously, the commercial side is is more your thing. How did you plan? For the, for the playing side? I mean, what were your initial ideas? Did you have someone to almost hold your hand as to how to build a team? How did it all work when you first started? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, no, no, no hand-holding. Um, I mean, I've, I've always played sport. I still play yeah. now. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes you can think that the, the world of professional sport is a million miles away from, from, from others. Inevitably, it comes down to, you know, have you got good people in the right positions? Have you got the right structure in place? Is the longevity correct? Have people been here too long? Uh, is the squad too young? You know, I was very, very fortunate. You know, I spoke to a lot of people in rugby before I joined, directors of rugby at other clubs and you know, the England coach and all yeah. the rest of it and, and, and looked at a bit of the best practice around a few areas. And it, it became very clear to me that you know, what, um, what we needed at Gloucester was... Um, we kept chopping and changing. So you would find coaches being in for one or two years and out and then another couple of years and out. And if you look at, if you look at the success in all of what I would call the top teams around, uh, around rugby, mm. they generally have two things in place. And that's one is the correct structure and two is longevity. So if you take Northampton, for example, just as an absolute example, 
six or seven seasons ago, they were relegated, but they stuck with Jim and they stuck with Dorian and, and the rest of it. And, you know, since then they've got on and they've become a, a guaranteed fixture in the top six, top four. They've won the league, you know, and, and all the rest of it. And that's because they, they, they believe they're the right people in the right positions and they, and they stuck with it because if you keep changing, you've got to keep pressing the reset button. So, um, so I knew coming in, it was to have a watching brief, look at the people, look at what I thought the culture was like, did I think we had the right people? And it doesn't matter whether you're, it's a, it's a rugby club or it's a, it's an insurance company. At the end of the day, you know, you, if you've got some decent leadership skills and intuition, you know whether things are right or they're not right. And then people are very quick to tell you as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, coming in, I did one-to-ones with everybody. Um, and you, you, you get a very clear picture, uh, to, be, to be quite frank. So, um, you know, I could throw a load of science and, 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 and try and dazzle you, but it's not. It's just going yeah. in, understanding it, man management sitting down and then, then, then planning with the right people from there. So uh, that, that's all I did. So how did you appoint your director of rugby? And once you appointed a director of rugby, yeah. um, how much input do you have as a CEO over the, over the staff makeup? Or do you leave all that to David and he just has a budget? Yeah, so, so to answer your first question, in terms of director of rugby, yeah, I did a piece of work, look at, as I said, looking at the top clubs. So at the time... I looked at Munster, Leicester, Saracens, Northampton, Glasgow. There may have been one other. Yeah. Uh, Leinster. Uh, Leinster, that was it. And, I, and, and again, and I looked at all of their structures and I looked at the ones that I thought worked and didn't work versus where we were here in terms of our organisation and where I thought our strengths and weaknesses were. And before I started, because look, when, we, when Nigel Davis departed, the phone went mental, to be quite frank with you, um, with current... Premiership, direct, you know, director of rugby that were currently in, in Premiership from the Southern Hemisphere, international. So that gave me a lot of confidence that Gloucester is a big job and mm. people were desperately uh, wanting to do it. So that was the first thing. I thought, good, you know, because I was panicking. Obviously, it was a big move at the end of the season, um, you know, to, to do that. Um, so we then got to a point where I sat down, looked at all of these things and thought, right, what we need here is a director of rugby but not a director of rugby in name. You know, I wasn't looking for a director of rugby that, 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 that had a clipboard and a, and a whistle. Yes. I wanted a director of rugby that was looking at recruitment, retention, nutrition, academy, all of those areas where I felt we needed almost a board member. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, very organised. So to, 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 to be absolutely fair to Nigel Davies, who, who departed before David came in, um, the structure that was in place did not allow him to probably blossom. He's a very, very good coach, is Nigel, and a top bloke, actually. Um, but he was he was effectively in his job role being asked to be director of rugby and head coach. Yeah. Impossible. Impossible at this level. You've got to deal with the media. You've got to be the good cop, the bad cop. You can't do it. So the first thing was to be very clear what we were looking for. Um, and it was, I wanted a director of rugby who was that. It was effectively, could be a board member. And then I wanted a head coach who did nothing but coach. No interest in anything else but coaching. So, so that's what I did. Look, went out and looked at the market, and David, um, who we didn't know was available, but when we found out potentially he could be, was head and shoulders above. He had a similar role at Ulster. He'd done a lot there. He, you know, Heineken Cups and, and all the rest of it. Very, very well organised, well structured. Very good name in the in the business. Very good relationship with agents, etc., etc., etc. So, so you know, approached um, Ulster about that, and then you know, after a, a little while, David came across. To answer your second part of the question, absolutely after that, it's down to David. Right. Um, I, I do not, you know, the, the day that I'm telling, you know, 72 capped Irish uh, <laughs> number 10, who we should be bringing in for his coaches, this is the day that the club's in trouble. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, um, I, it's completely over to David then. Of course, we talk about it constantly, bounces it off me, we bounce it off other people that we know uh, confidentially around, around the business. Uh, or around around the rugby game, he has budgets within it which he needs to work towards. He know whether he wanted a forward orientated head coach or a backs orientated head coach, etc. But completely down to David after that. When David wants a new coach, is it basically just a yes or no no from you, or do you not even get involved outside of that discussion, and he just manages his own budget? Yeah, we, we it's very much more integrated than that. Um, so if David was looking to bring in a a new player, a new coach, um, or or whatever. He would, we would we meet all we speak every day. And we meet once a week. Yeah, 
you know, without fail anyway. We're a very good, close relationship. Um, and so we would um, we would sit down, Dave would say, right, I'm looking at bringing in Mr. X. I think he's going to be wonderful and all the rest of it. And we'd discuss it. I'd say, OK, so is that replacing somebody? Is that on top of somebody? Is it, you know, what do you think he's going to bring to the club? So like any, like any other request, you would sit down and look at it. You know, when's he available? Yeah. Uh, all the rest of it. And then we decide between us what we thought that value might be worth. And then uh, one of us would then go and speak to either that person or, or their agent. So very, very, very normal situation. But we don't do anything in isolation. Um, you know, I think we like to do it as a, as a pair. And, uh, you know, we have one owner at the club, Martin St. Quinton. And uh, Martin's great. And uh, I think he likes to see that David and I are, are in cahoots. And, you know, rather than him having 50 questions about the new player or the new coach, he'd rather I'd had those 50 questions first yes. and he can trust the fact that I've already kind of gone through that due diligence process. Okay. So just out of interest then, how big is Gloucester as a business? Okay. Yeah. So we are, we turn over just over 15 million pounds a year. Okay. Um, so yeah, an, an SME in all sense and purposes. Um, of that, we obviously our, our most sizable um, proportions in there uh, due to match day, uh, tendencies, sponsorship, and obviously central income, which is you know RFU heads of agreement and yeah. rugby uh, monies that get distributed out to the clubs. Then we're going into conferencing and hospitality, merchandise sales, etc. But yeah, so we're a fifteen million pound uh, turnover business, and um, we are one of the only clubs. I think there's ourselves, Northampton, and Exeter that for the last few years have, have been able to not lose money. Um, last year was a very, very tough year, but hopefully we'll still be able to at least break even uh, on what was a very tough year um, for us. Um, but that's how we run the business. So you're turning over 50 million. Are you currently spending up to your salary cap then? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, the salary cap. And I'm not being political, but I will answer you. Uh, yeah, um, the salary cap has many facets this year. So um, you've got your base number, you, mm-hmm. so you've got six and a half million, uh, you've got your academy credits, you've got your homegrown player credits, you've got international player credits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a, it's a, it's a, a maze within a labyrinth, within a bloody yeah. cul-de-sac and, and all the rest of it. But um, So yes, we are spending um, to the, um, the salary cap level. Mm-hmm. However, as I say, there are other areas where you could potentially uh, dip into. Um, what I would say is, it would be completely wrong for us to be spending to the absolute maximum that we could physically spend at this time. And, I, and I'll, tell, I'll tell you why. Yes. Uh, we haven't kicked a ball in anger yet in the league. And in terms of injuries, in terms of replacements, in terms of what you might need to do to your squad later in the year, when the, the Super Rugby season just finished, when the French team work out who they want in and out, you always want to leave yourself in a position that if you need to, you can react and do something. Um, so we're at a position where we, we, we've spent you know, a million pounds more than we did this time last year. And we're paying, when I say over the salary cap, I don't mean that in, in, in terms of illegal terms. Yes. But if your salary cap, let's say your salary cap was six million pounds, we're spending more than that. But that includes the credits and everything else that we get to spend against. Okay. Uh, but, but we have got a little, little to spare if the right opportunities come up in the market. And we're still looking in a couple of areas. What's your spend on salaries then for the upcoming season? And how much have you got spare? Should you need it? That is, I'm afraid, that is the only commercially sensitive piece of information I can't share with you. That's uh, fine. I understand that. We're in such a competitive environment. And um, we um, it's one of those things which we, we do. We, in fact, this year for the first time, we are sharing amongst clubs, but uh, it isn't published at the moment. So I would be I would be um, thrown into Gloucester Keys. Uh, <laughs> well, it's an interesting one, that because if you look at the American models, they tend to publish all of their salaries and, yeah. and all of their contracts. Yeah, yeah. If it was a level playing field and all the other clubs were going that way, do you think it would be a good idea? Yeah, I do. And I think it will go that way, to be quite frank, because we've moved from, um, and I don't want to dwell on it, but we've moved from a fairly murky place uh, where, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing at a couple of certain clubs about potentially, you know, cheating the salary cap, etc. Yeah. To a place now where in the next few weeks, we'll all sit around the board table and, and we will all look at exactly what each of us spent this year. Um, and that's taken us, that, that, by the way, that's, 
leaps and bounds. You know, you would never get that around a PRL uh, board table usually. So we'll know exactly what XYZ club have spent, what they've spent, what they've spent. And it will go and it'll be chunked down, not to individual player, because that's unfair, but into bands of players. And so people are going to know exactly who's doing what and, and all the rest of it. And, and it'll give us all a lot more confidence. So, yeah, I could absolutely see the next step when people are confident with this one that they would get published. Because, you know, I'm certainly sure that like ourselves, the majority of clubs, if not all, would, would have absolutely nothing to hide. So uh, why not? We, we, we'd certainly have no issue with it um, at all. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, you're in favour of it, broadly speaking. Mm. I mean, what are the arguments against it? Um, I think I don't know the arguments against it are particularly. If I'm honest with you, I think it's it's more around the rate of change. Um, so in a competitive environment, um, you know, which NFL is as well, of course, but yeah. in a competitive environment with lots of owners um, involved, um, people generally like to keep their powder dry about their own business, especially when they're spending money on players. You know, and yeah. you hear so much rubbish in the in the, the media about this player was seven hundred thousand, this player was six hundred thousand, etc. And it, sometimes what can happen is, um, you know, if you're at a certain club, your price will go up because people think, well, they've got loads of money and all this kind of stuff. So there are, there are, there are a few commercial reasons, but I think the main reason is, I think the rate of change from going from nobody showing anybody else their homework mm-hmm. to everybody saying, okay, fine, we're, we're, we're all clean, we're happy, we're, we're, we're going to go for it, we're going to show it, which is now, everyone's going to do that to give everybody the confidence. I think it's quite a, it's quite a leap. Um, so I think it will happen at some stage, but I think people, we've got to get, it's almost like, you know, you've got to have a snog before you can have a fondle. Um, <laughs> and I, th- I think we're at the, the, the heavy petting stage at the moment. Um, and I think we'll, we'll get there. Um, I just think it's just that change piece. You know, a lot of people have been around rugby for a long time. You've got to remember rugby was only amateur just over a decade ago. So I think we aren't, we're not the NFL. You know, we're, we're probably not, you know, we, I, I would favour a commissioner, for example, uh, which I do have in American sports. I would prefer a commissioner that came in and, and, and did all of this completely independently. Um, but, but you know, other people won't have that same opinion. So I think that over time it will change and, and, and it'll become much more transparent. But between the clubs, it, it will be completely transparent this year anyway, which is it's quite, a, quite a leap, actually. I'm intrigued to know what you would have this commissioner do. What sort of oversight do you see them having? Yeah, I just think if you look at certain sports, when... Whenever there's any ambiguity um, around sport, uh, around whether it's salaries or, or, or whatever else, um, I just think a level of independence is is absolutely key. And I mean real independence, um, you know, because obviously Premier Rugby is a great organisation, but it's effectively run by us. It's run by the clubs. And, um, you know, you, there will be decisions that are made by a commissioner, for example, that, that Gloucester won't like, but somebody would have a completely clear, balanced view on what it was for the versus the objectives of Premier Rugby, not what Gloucester or Saracens or Wasps or Leicester might want to do. Yeah. Uh, so a commissioner generally, I think, would I mean you 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 could make the role what you what you would, but I think it would be to oversee um, strategic and tactical decisions, uh, which uh, are let's say for example around the brand of Premiership Rugby, yeah. how we advertise and market the brand. Um, around spent, you know, salary cap um, spend to, to to ensure that everybody is within within the the realms of what where they should be. So, you know, a number of things, you know, but a lot of it would be around. It could be around global season um, strategy, but uh, just somebody to come in and um, you know, with a, with a real independence uh, to kind of say to the clubs, look, you know, I know this isn't going to work for you, Steve at Gloucester, but trust me, this is this is a great deal for nine clubs here. Yeah. So. As commissioner for the Premier Rugby, I, I'm forwarding this as, a, as a, an action to the board to to, to, to pass. Um, but uh, anyway, that's a, that's another story. Yeah, well, to be fair, I know the perfect podcaster for that role. Um, <laughs> so we've just spoken about the salary cap and the mm. maximum spend. Do you think there's an argument for clubs to have a minimum spend? Ah, it's interesting. That's another conversation that comes up quite regularly. Um, is there an argument? It's a difficult one because... Um, there's some very different clubs in the Premier Rugby. Um, you know, you've got, for example, a few years ago, Wasps were struggling to pay uh, salaries. And, and, you know, if it wasn't for the help of other people and pre-RL, etc., you know, who knows where. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They would have been and they were in a terrible stadium and awful crowds and, you know, on the back of a bloody industrial estate in Wickham. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, bingo, they're now... Done a retail bond. They've got a brand spanking state of the art stadium. They've got, you know, the likes of Willie LaRue, Curtly Beale, yeah. Danny Cipriani, Eastman, Elliot Dayton, and the back lines to die for, you know. Um, so so it's, it's, it's interesting how things ch- change depending on the time that you're asking these types of questions. Because, you know, if you ask WASS now, they might say, yeah, we absolutely think that's right. If you ask them a few years ago, they might have said, we can't get there. We can't get to that minimum spend. So, what, what, you know, how are, we meant, how are we meant to get there? So it, it's a very difficult one when you're asking independent businesses and clubs to spend a minimum amount. Because you could argue that, uh, let's say Exeter, through the years, they might have been spending a lot less than um, Gloucester, for argument's sake. Yeah. But they're finishing consistently higher up the table because they had a, a settled squad. They had a, a great bunch of academy kids that came through at the same time, like Noel and Ewells and, uh, Ewells and those types of people. Um, and they bought a few players at the end of their careers that were probably cheaper than, 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 than not. And, you know, they could argue that they may have been, a, I don't know, make up a number, a million pounds spending less than, than other clubs, but, but, but we're actually overperforming. So um, I think it's, 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 it's a very difficult one to, to, to tell a club that's got to be trying to be commercially sustainable. Um, it needs to spend what it needs to spend because, you know, if that means then that, you know, the marketing guy has to get the sack or, you know, they can't hit minimum standard criteria on their stadium for safety issues. Mm. That becomes a real issue. So I think it's a debate, but if they were, if they were to do it, it would have to be at a, a sensible level that meant that, you know, clubs that are, you know, have the objective of staying in the Premiership, have, you know, the uh, don't have any more disadvantage um, versus the teams that are looking to win the Champions Cup. Yeah, I, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in my mind, it would level the playing field and make it more competitive, which ultimately I think would improve revenues across the board. But you're saying it's that step to getting to that level. It's hard. I mean... I agree, in essence, I'd love everyone to be, you know, playing on exactly the same playing field, but it just doesn't work like that in, in, in sport um, with, with egos and owners and, and, and supporters and stakeholders and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, let's say, for example, Sale. Mm. You know, Sale, in my opinion, have been one of the unsung heroes in rugby for a long time, you know, consistently finishing in the top six, Championship Rugby, uh, sorry, Champions uh, Cup Rugby, um, you know, in a stadium they don't own, in a pretty difficult commercial landscape yep. up there with Manchester United, Man City, Rugby League and everything else uh, around there. Um, now, you know, where do they go to, to try and raise more revenues? Um, you know, are they, go, are, are they going to get into the top four? Possibly. But, you know, I think Saracens and Wasps and Leicester and Northampton and ourselves and Quinns and Exeter, you know, so there's no... There's no guarantee there. Um, so it's, um, as I say, no issue at all with, with with a minimum salary cap spend. But as long as it wasn't jeopardising really good clubs that were doing everything they can in tough environments or Newcastle, you know, up there with Newcastle United on the doorstep, um, not in a massive rugby area. Mm. Uh, as long as it wasn't stretching them to a limit which was going to be their downfall, then fine. But we'd have to be sensible about it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. 
with the salary cap increasing in importance, and this will be the last ca- yeah, yeah. question I ask you, can you see conflicts arising between people like yourself and directors of rugby? Directors of rugby clearly are concentrating on the actual talent of the player. And say if we were talking about a football club, you know, your job might be to say yes or no and then provide the funds. But in this scenario, you've actually got to make a value judgment of that player and then compare it to how much you're actually spending. And do you see a role developing for you know almost like an independent guy who manages the salary cap? Um, well, well, firstly, from the, the conflict perspective, um, not really, uh, because most uh, directors of rugby get it. You know, um, we, we, there's no surprises. Certainly not the Gloucester's no surprises. You know, we sit down at the start of the season and we work through budgets and what the salary cap's doing and where we can go with that versus etc. 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 And we have a rough idea in the picking order what we're, what we're probably spending versus other clubs. Um, so, um, no, I don't think particularly the fact that the salary cap's gone up. I, I do think the salary cap shouldn't go up anymore mm. um, for a few years because I think we're at a place now where we, we, we're we very much competing in, in Europe. You know, obviously Saracens have just won it. We had three, three semi-finalists. Um, you know, I think in terms of the Northern Hemisphere, we're, we're at a place now where we can attract the best players in the world and um, I think clubs should now look at investing in their infrastructure to make the fan experience better um, to try and get more supporters through the doors but that, that, that's by the by but no I don't think there'll be more conflict to be quite frank I think most owners chief execs and DORs are in a place where they're very very clear on what the situation is from the start of that financial year and season uh, and work within those uh, boundaries Never ever stays like that, of course, because you you get to a point where you, you you know, unfortunately, you get four locks that all go down at the same time. So you've got to dip into the market, else you're playing kids, you know, and 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 the ramifications uh, on that aren't good. Um, And in terms of the salary cap management, um, I mean, we have um, all of the kind of finance people at the clubs, you know, uh, look after the salary cap, and we have um, very very advanced. Um, software which we use around salary cap to make sure that we're not doing anything to contravene. Sorry, there's there's salary cap software. Um, sorry, we we have our own uh, software here, which is right. Uh, okay, I've made, I've made that sound a bit posh. <laughs> I was going to say, wow, I had no idea. Change it. I could change the word. And, I was trying to be posh, wasn't I? Um, <laughs> let's, let's change that word software to spreadsheets. That's how uh, yeah. So. Uh, but we, we keep very, very much on top of it. So, you know, David, for example, will know from the meetings we have weekly and the conversations we have and his independent conversations he has with RFD and also Alex Brown, our rugby operations manager, is very close to all of this. You know, we know weekly in terms of where we are on our EQP uh, rotation. So, you know, we, we, we need to hit our minimum uh, English qualified player um, uh, roster. So we, we that that drives recruitment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can't just go out. Well, you can if you want to, but if you go out and buy, you know, twenty South African players, you're not going to get any funding from your EQP, which then affects what you can spend on players Got if yeah. you're running as a self-sustainable business. Um, and we monitor the, the salary cap and cash. Uh, very, very, very closely, um, you know, to know what we have got and haven't got, and then we also link that in with the salary cap manager at PRL, who, who kind of conjoins everything from all the other clubs as well, and, and then we'll pump out these reports and come back to us and say, right, fantastic, great. Well, you, you know, you've got this left to spend if you wanted to, or you haven't used this injury dispensation. And uh, as I say, this year we're going to get that independent report from all the clubs as well. Fantastic. Now there is a subject which. I'm not sure if it's commercial, and I'm not sure if it's rugby. I guess it's somewhere in between. Before I go into it, I'm going to have to congratulate you on your new kit for the for, for the European season. I think it's excellent. Thank you. But who decides on Gloucester's kits? Um, good question. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say me, like uh, the, 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 the big I am, just because we've got, we've got a, a nice kit out. But uh, the commercial department and the playing department, I guess, um, help drive it, but um, you know, if, if I start from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, at Gloucester Rugby, we're the cherry and whites. Yes, so we can we can we can we can nail it down pretty quickly. Although I'm an Aston Villa supporter, um, we're not going to be playing in claret and blue anytime soon because I would be hung, um, <laughs> and um, we're not going to be playing in blue, black, and white of Bath either. So so we, we, the parameters of what we can use uh, are, are very clear. Um, you know, we have lots of supporter forums, we have feedback forums with fans, we have members' nights, etc. And they'll tell us, you know, you'll be aware of Gloucester supporters, they're not shy. No, they're not. Uh, they'll be very, very quick to explain to us what they do and don't like about kits. And, 
you know, so we know the parameters that we can work within. This year, actually, on our cherry and white home kit, um, we did something very, very different, actually, because last year we, we signed with a new main partner, Mitsubishi Motors. Yes. And we kit out. And the feedback from the supporters immediately was, kit looks great. You've listened. You've gone back to black shorts and black socks. I know where this is going. But that logo looks horrific. Yes. Um, you know, and we were like, yeah, okay. But, you know, I explained to them, took them on the journey and said, look, you know, you can't ask a brand to come in and spend money with you and then work around their brand guidelines. You have to, you know, and people understood but didn't like it. Um, fair play to Mitsubishi. We, we had a very good long meeting with them and they said, okay, if people really don't like it, let's do something about it. So we spoke to the supporters at the forum and we said, look, you're going to hang us because you're going to say, oh, is another kit a year after, but you've asked for this. So if we bring out a new kit with a linear sponsor and everything else that you want, don't come running back to us saying you're profiteering because we're not. In fact, it's costing us money to do this. Um, oh, yeah. But we did it. So we bought out a brand new cherry white kit, which is almost universally loved, which which worries me now because <laughs> what do we do next? Um, and then the um, the one two five kit. I mean, we, we we've known that one two five years at King's Home was coming up, um, and the history of King's Home is just incredible. Uh, really, is how we how we came here in the first place and, and all the rest of it. But we weren't, we weren't the cherry and whites. Initially we played in uh, like a purple and, uh, and blue and a purple and black. And then um, just in blue. Mm-hmm. And um, when we came to King's home, um, one of our nicknames, I think it was the rainbow boys or something. So we played <laughs> a, a, a um, in this kind of, well, it looks like the Richmond kit to be quite frank or Cinderford yeah. or, or, or the chiefs from back in the day. So it's, it's lovely kind of um, amber, red and black, um stripes it's a real it's a great kit looking kit um and it, and it, it, other than the fact it does look really nice it is genuinely the kit that we wore in 1891 when we first played at king's home so we thought what 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 opportunity to to, to bring out a kit to commemorate 125 to, to help us launch all the the events and dinners and festivities and games that we're going to be putting on this year so uh, yeah and, the, and again generally people love it but if everybody loved it I'd be very upset because um, you know you, it would be it would be odd. Yes. Yeah. Um, some people don't understand why we brought it out and say, "Well, that, that's not our traditional colours." But uh, you know, case or Yeah. Well, I've got to ask, uh, and I'm going to have to be careful um, in case I offend you here. Why are the shorts black? Aren't the shorts meant meant to be navy, and the socks meant to be navy? Um, well, it's, it's like any kit, really. If you go back through the annals, um, Gloucester's shorts and socks have been. White, red, black, blue, all through all, th- all through different periods of time. So when we sat down, um, and, and you know what happens? People reminisce about the kit. Yeah. What, what was what, so, so sorry to talk football because it's a rugby podcast. But no, go for uh, it. When I grew up, I was an Aston Villa supporter, and we won the European Cup and we won the league, and we played in this penguin kit with claret and blue and all the rest of it. Now, for me, that is the only kit. Villa should ever wear, but now I'm a, an old fart that you know shouldn't be having those kind of conversations. But so everybody grows up and they'll call it the the Phil Vickery kit or the Mike Teague kit or the Trevor Woodman kit or the Terry Fanalua kit. Yeah, he is. So it became very obvious that people wanted dark shorts, and it's either going to be dark blue or black. And we and we asked the supporters, and it was probably about seventy five percent preferred black, twenty five percent blue. But there's, there's no should should they be that colour um, they've been both in the past and I guess the, the, the most successful Gloucester team back in the day wore black and uh, black shorts and black stockings and, and we decided to go for that and it fits in with the stadium uh, colouring and, and all the rest of it and um, not to say that one day they won't go back to dark blue but for, 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 certainly for for while I'm here, I think that the the black, the, the, the cherry and white with the black trim uh, works well. Well, just please don't go back to the red shorts. That, that's all I ask. Don't go back to the red shorts and please keep keep your full hoops at all times. Absolutely. Anything within that, it's up to you. Interesting with Gloucester because it's got a huge amount of history. How do you balance out the commercial needs and also keeping it as traditional as possible? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one because... Um, the answer is you, you, you can't be, you've got to embrace the past and, 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 and history, but you can't be scared of it um, because the reality is, if you, if you look at Gloucester as a team over the last 10 years, I think we've finished in the top six twice. So, um, you know, that isn't a great record. 
so you know people do tend to harp on about things uh, from from a long time ago and you know supporters of all clubs you know aren't often change agents you know they like what they like and you know etc uh, etc et but you know we're, we are a, a commercial organization as well so in the last few years you know we've brought in cashless entry into the system we've brought in lottos we've brought in betting apps you know we've we've, we've done a lot um, at the stadium um, and changes to our memberships and, and all the rest of it, which, you know, not all supporters have been absolutely um, into, you know, they've not been, not, not been supportive of it, particularly at certain times, you know, moving the club shop into the city centre or, or changing, changing various things to, to move with the times. But um, you've got to do it. But as long as you can justify it, that is the key. So, you know, if somebody said to me, um, you know, for example, you know, why do we do... Um, why have we got so many sponsors on a shirt? Or why do why why is that sponsored? Or why do we do this? And, um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly standard answer, really. And it's look, you know, we don't have a a, a, a benefactor that's just going to give me a check to go and win the league. Yeah. We have to we have to make sure that everything we do commercially underpins what we can do on the field. And if we don't do these things, we're going to fall further behind. Um, and um, pretty much everybody goes, yeah, get that, absolutely get that. Now, you've got to have some emotional intelligence about this. So I understand the DNA of the club. And, um, you know, if I started playing music after we've scored a try at Gloucester, uh, <laughs> yeah. then I'm not stupid, or dancing girls every time we win a bloody line out, you know, uh, or drums and all that nonsense. Now, that's great at some clubs. Um, and, and I'm not knocking it for a second. And, and fan experience, especially for the new supporter, is very, very important. Um, but you have to understand where you are um, and, you know, um, the, the core DNA of the club as well. So we won't do anything outlandish, ridiculous that would completely go against the grain. But at the same time, if there's commercial opportunity out there, we think it's right, then we're, we're, we're absolutely unashamedly out there to, to, to make sure we can do it. Activate well for that partner. Um, but with the underlying uh, objective of, of supporting the playing department. Okay, because you've done very, very good work with the stadium. Mm. Um, eventually, it's going to have to crop up, isn't it? You're going to have yeah. to redevelop the shed at some point, mm. uh, particularly if attendances carry on going up. How are you going to approach that? Yeah, well, it's interesting, actually, because, um, yeah, you could develop a shed, but th there were a lot of other areas you'd potentially develop first. Um, so... The shed itself backs onto a, a row of a row of houses, so you can't really do a lot above it mm -hmm. because it blocks the light and it blocks the view to the cathedral, etc. So th there's the first kind of urban myth put to bed that you're going to build stacks of corporate hospitality on the top of the shed. You, you wouldn't get you couldn't get planning permission to start with okay. um, to do that. So the shed itself, you know, I'm committed that the shed should be a standing area as long as we're allowed to keep it as a standing area. Uh, and we'll try and, I can't say we'll try and refine it. There's only so much you can do with a load of concrete and uh, corrugated iron. Uh, <laughs> but people people love it. It's almost a rite of passage in Gloucester. Uh, and, you know, I even go in there a couple of uh, times a season incognito to just, you know, yeah. have a feel of what it's all about, have a pie, have a pasty, have a drink, just to check out what the, the supporters are going through. Um, so I think that um, the Ched doesn't need to be developed for, for, the, for the foreseeable. But we have got other stands uh, here, um, you know, especially the two on either end by the posts, um, that could both be, um, you know, re renovated, changed. It could potentially put some, um, you know, uh, revenue generating pieces in there, bars and restaurants and, and things mm. like that. So we have, we have actually got plans drawn up on what we could do if we had the investment to do so. Um, and it's quite impressive, really, but it wouldn't necessarily mean uh, altering the shed particularly. Uh, in fact, you know, our attendances are good, but, you know, what you want as a chief executive is scarcity. And at the minute, we're not getting enough scarcity because we're not in the top four or top six as much as we should be. Um, when we can get to that position, only then will we even look at expansion of the stadium. Um, if we did it before that, it would just be a, a, an ego trip um, and there's no need to do it at the moment. Yeah. So, uh, actually, go, going back to the stadium, this is your 125th year at King. Have I got that right? 125th year at yep. King's home? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what what have the club got club got planned for this season? Yeah, we've got loads planned actually. Um, so um, we launched the other day um, to the press, and we have a uh, obviously the commemorative shirt which we already discussed. 
Um, we're going to be kicking it all off with a, with a black tie dinner um, with a load of former legends. Uh, Jim Hamilton and um, Jason Robertson are going to be talking at that in, in October. Um, we've also got um, uh, in October as well a, a hybrid game, which is going to be very, very interesting. Are you, so, um, who are you playing in that game? Have I seen that advertised somewhere? Yeah, so what, what's happening is uh, Mitsubishi... Is it Solver uh, City Reds? Sorry? Yes, it is. Yes, yes I, uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. It's a Legends game. So you now we're bringing in the people like um, you know Simbad and um, Mike Tyndall and Oli Azam. I mean, absolute legends from, from, wow. from Glock. The, the rugby league team is, is immense. I mean, I, I follow rugby league as well. And, um, you know, I met with Adrian Morley uh, the other day. If, if you don't know rugby league, Adrian Morley... Uh, it's a tough man's sport. He's yeah. a tough man in it. <laughs> yes, um, he is. It's scary to even shake his hand, but they've got the likes of Yestin Harris and Kylie Luluai and Keith Senior, an incredible team that they're bringing down. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it's going to be a cross code game. It should be great fun. Um, you know, um, but it's all to raise money. For, so everything I'm going to tell you about now is all to raise money for charity. Um, for our Gloucester Rugby Charity and Rugby for Heroes and, and, and Pied Piper, who, who, who we look after uh, as much as we physically can. Um, so we've got, we've got a range of different um, games on through the year. We're going to be taking our own Legends team out to some local clubs as well to raise money. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Um, and we've got um, a range of other dinners and things that we're taking around to, to, to other clubs. We've got a walk, a 125-mile walk for, for the Bristol game. Um, next year where we've, we're going to get everybody to raise at least £125 and we're going to stop over at uh, Thornton Rugby Club on the way down and no doubt get completely pie-eyed and then try and walk the rest of the uh, to, to the game when we play Bristol uh, next year. So the, the, the loads and loads and loads of stuff going on. We're going to be painting up the pitch to, to commemorate 125 years as well uh, and, and wearing our, our, our commemorative shirt in our European games. Excellent. So loads going, loads more going on as well. But I'll be here all day if I told you everything that's going on. Uh, last two questions because I know you need to get off. There is a very serious story in the press at the moment. And I've got a feeling it's well, it's been doing rounds in rugby circles for a while, but I've got a feeling it's going to have massive ramifications for clubs. And this is the concussion case with Sale. Now, yes. are you guys watching this closely? I imagine you are. And are you thinking of changing anything? Um, yeah, obviously we've seen it and. Um... It is very serious. I think, are we looking at changing anything? No, and that isn't being churlish or, 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 or flippant. Um, I mean, we, have a, we have incredibly tight um, policies at the club around not just concussion, but, but injury and illness um, straight away. I mean, you know, Bob Stewart, who's our, our head of medical, you know, just told with the Lions party, very, very uh, revered uh, in the game. Um, you know, we, our protocols are incredibly, incredibly tight. Um, around that um, I think if you look at the particular case that you're talking about now um, I have no inside knowledge into it but it appears from what I've read that it was almost a playing department decision yes. to uh, keep this person on the pitch where cast iron guarantee you now we do not I repeat do not David Humphreys does not have or Laurie Fisher does not have authority over Bob Stewart or any of the medical team on concussion. If they think a player's concussed, in, or even 1% of them think they might be concussed, he comes off. Simple as. It overrides anything to do with the, the coaching department, and that's how we work. Um, so, um, so, I, I, so, no, we don't need to look at our procedures. Um, that appears to me, um, if true, a, a coach's... Or playing department decision, which 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 is obviously unacceptable uh, when you when you're talking about players' health. Uh, I hope it isn't the case, but I think if it is, there's going to be some serious ramifications at sale, and ones which will be very detrimental to every, everything that they do there. So yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah, um, I, hope, I hope it's all innocent and and, yeah. and the guy's okay. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, now I keep uh, on my other podcast, Egg Chasers, with Tim and Phil. We continually joke. Is it going to be Gloucester's year? Because we always think after your yeah. signings, it's going to be Gloucester's year. You've been very quiet this year. Yeah. Um, we have not ranked you particularly highly for a finish just because of the competitiveness yeah. um, of the league. So I want to hear it from yourself. Where, where do you think you're going to finish this year? Okay. So is it going to be our year? No. We're going to be absolutely useless um, <laughs> to start with. Um, look, it's funny, really, because you're right. We have been quiet, but I mean, if you go back to what I said earlier about uh, longevity and continuity, etc., 
biggest issue we had a couple of seasons ago when I brought Laurie and David and the guys in was we had 25 new players coming in um, of varying levels and various expense, etc., etc. Yeah. Now, other than the fact there were 25 new players and a new coaching team, David hadn't signed one of those. You know, they, they weren't his team effectively, as it were. Um, so through those two seasons, okay, we won the Challenge Cup in year one, which kind of you know, kind of covered a few sins, as it were. Uh, and last year, we have seen, a, genuinely seen a steady improvement um, as they've brought players in that they wanted and moved players on that they, they didn't. This season, in the closed season, uh, we were very, very direct about what we wanted to do. And it was it was to not have wholesale change, uh, but to improve certain areas. So we brought in um, Matu Matu uh, from the Hurricanes. We brought in... Uh, 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 hooker. Uh, we brought in Josh Honick, uh, the prop from uh, the Highlanders. Uh, we brought in Matt Scott, who's a, a hard-running centre from Edinburgh. We brought yep. in Andrew Simons, who's uh, very same uh, in terms of that. And then we brought in one or two around the edges, another lock from Leinster, Tom Denton, etc. So we, we brought in six or seven rather than bringing in 16 or 17. And we actually see that as a massive plus, actually, because yeah. um, last year we were actually trucking along very well and then we hit a horrible patch so we'd just beaten harlequins and we just beaten wasps um and then we had four games coming up against teams below us in the league mm. and to this day we don't know what happened because we just absolutely lost it and we lost to worcester to bath to london irish and it ruined our season so we went from being very much challenging for top five six um and, and, we, and we ended up finishing eighth albeit on the last day of the season if the wind blew a certain way and whatever else. We could have still got into sixth, but it was massively unlikely. Um, so so ended very disappointingly for us, really, because we, we had it in our own hands and in our own control, and we went on a, on a poor run. Um, OK, losing Johnny May, Charlie Sharples, Tom Marshall, etc., didn't help. But we're not going to start crying about that because every club has, has, has injuries. Um, so around about the way, you know, I'm not going to say we're quite confident because we, we, we don't really want to talk that way. It's not what we're about. But, um, you know, I can't say where I think we'll finish because it's detrimental to a lot of very, very good clubs out there. Yes. But what I will say is, you know, we are absolutely targeting top six this year. Uh, that is our absolute focus. We, if we don't finish in the top six, we, we, we will see it as a, as a failure. Um, so I can't say any more clearer than that, really. Um, but, you know, there are some incredible... I, th- I believe Saracens are a cut above at the moment. I completely agree um, with that. Yeah, I absolutely. In, in so many ways, in terms of the, the, the balance of their squad, and, you know, they've recruited very well again. Uh, I think... I can't tell you what's going to happen with Wasps. They'll either be untouchable or, or they'll struggle a bit with in terms of bedding in those players. And obviously, it's, it's a fairly small back line, actually, um, if you look at it. It is. But, if they get if they click, I mean, yeah, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the likes of Wade and Halai, who are going to finish these things off, and Simpson and Dan Robson. So incredible backline uh, that they've got. Um, and then obviously you've got the, like, the perennials now, like Exeter. You know, Northampton will want to get back into the top four. Leicester will be there. They've they've made some good recruitment. So um, yeah, the list goes on. So it's going to be very very. T- we're under no illusions of how difficult it's going to be. Um, you know, and Bristol have come up, and and, and you know, hopefully they'll be a. Uh, you know, there won't be a London Welsh, as it were. You know, no, they, they definitely won't be that. I mean, I, I don't think they'll do. I, I think they'll, they'll they'll be struggling down there, but they will be a good team. I mean, the whole the whole league this year, and mm. maybe not great for Gloucester per se, you know, on on a micro level, but yeah. for the sport on a macro level, it's wonderful. I I can't think of a better competition actually. No, it's fantastic, absolutely, and uh, you know, it's um, as I say, I think now where we are with the salary cap. And everything else, the new rugby uh, RFU heads of agreement, we're in a very good place, really. Um, new TV deals, etc. Um, rugby in general in the U- in, in in England is in a very very good place, and I think we've got. I'm being by. I love watching Super Rugby, but I do believe we've got the most competitive league on the planet. Completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. Uh, so uh, you said targeting uh, targeting a top six place, and you're definitely going to beat Bath twice. So we can take that to the bank. Correct, 100%. Excellent. Steve, that's absolutely fantastic. I've kept you far longer than I initially intended to, and we've still got a ton of stuff that, I, that I'd like to go through. I'll let you get on with your day, educate the players, and do all those good things in making Gloucester successful for this year. Top man. Cheers. Cheers, Steve. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. 
The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.